Welcome to ProTalk, our podcast where we chat with CEOs and founders of some of the most interesting and influential asset management companies in the world. Every crisis you go through, you learn something new about yourself and your own reaction. You learn also about how markets react to different circumstances. Today we're here with Daniel Murray, CEO of EFJ Asset Management Switzerland. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Patricia, for having me on. So, so first of all, um, I would like to know a bit about yourself. Uh, what's your background and how did you end up in the financial industry? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I thought uh, initially I was going to pursue a career in academia. And then uh, at the last minute, I got a job working for a small but uh, quite well-known economic boutique consultancy in London for a gentleman called Andrew Smithers. This was in the sort of mid to late 90s. So a very interesting time to be involved with markets. And um, and Andrew was a sort of renowned for, a, for being a super bear. And this was just prior to the dot-com bubble bursting. So really interesting to be with him. I learned an awful lot. And then uh, once uh, I uh, my career with Andrew had finished, I went and I joined uh, Merrill Lynch Investment Managers, which mm-hmm. is now BlackRock. And I had the pleasure of working there for a few years. I actually ended up uh, managing money on a team that specialized in top-down asset allocation. So um, also great experience for me and, uh, you know, learned an awful lot, particularly during those trying times in the early 2000s. And then I joined um, EFG for the first time in a similar sort of role, um, but EFG was back then very small and we all did a bit of everything. So I had some exposure to hedge funds, I had some exposure to, uh, you know, all different sorts of asset classes, different sorts of clients. It was mm-hmm. Also another very good learning experience. I then briefly left EFG. I joined Russell Investments, spent a few years there, work on the hedge fund side, had uh, some time working private equity. That was during the global financial crisis. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, quite a difficult time, but uh, actually the private equity exposure in particular was, uh, was really interesting for me. And then uh, EFG invited me back to rejoin. That was in 2010. Mm-hmm. I've been back here ever since. I've seen the business grow hugely since then. It's been a great privilege to be working here and be part of that success story. So uh, that's my career in a nutshell. I mean, it's quite it's quite interesting, like um, how you like you went through the dot com bubble and then the financial crisis in 2008. And uh, now, like the current situation, we are living in the markets. Like, did all this previous crisis prepare you for, for the current <laughs> moment? I think yes and no. So there's this phrase that's often used in financial markets, which is that history rhymes, but it doesn't repeat. Mm-hmm. So every crisis you go through, you learn something new about yourself and your own reaction. And you learn also about how markets react to different circumstances. I think the whole point about a crisis is that by definition, it's unexpected and it's an extreme event. Uh, and uh, I think what you learn over time is that um, you need to try and take a step back in these very difficult positions. Behaviorally and psychologically, every uh, molecule of your body is telling you to try to de-risk. But what you have to try to do as an investor is be as objective as possible. Look through the short-term noise, try to control your behavioral impulses and try to make an honest assessment about where you think uh, the economy will be where you think markets will be and where you think policy will be in say six to 12 months time. So difficult to do, but uh, that's, I suppose, 
one thing that I've, you know, there is a constant, that's, that's one mm -hmm. constant way in which I've learned how to deal with crises over the past uh, 25 years. And so you, you mentioned just now uh, the, the, the short or the, like the, the noise that there is at the moment, but as an economist, like with your background, what would you say would be like the, the effects of, of the Ukrainian war, like in the economy in the mid and long term? So much as uh, crises are all idiosyncratic, geopolitical crises are even more idiosyncratic. And, you know, most geopolitical events occur in parts of the world that are actually quite disconnected from the global uh, economy and from the global financial system. So they are very tragic in a human sense. There's very tragic cost of life and it's incredibly sad. And it does, you know, it uh, stirs the emotions. Um, but the impact on the markets and on the global economy is often quite small. It's quite well contained. Now, if you think about events in Syria, obviously, you know, really terrible from a human perspective, but Syria doesn't have any financial markets and the size of the economy is very tiny and there's not really much by way of contagion. So not much of a, a grander effect. I think the difference with Ukraine and Russia is that it's right on Europe's doorstep. So the physical and geographical proximity is different. Mm -hmm. And also um, the whole uh, energy interlinkage between Russia and Europe is, uh, is a bit different this time. So it's all a bit closer to home. The effects are magnified. But at the same time, uh, the Russian economy is not that big in the whole scheme of things. The Ukrainian economy is pretty tiny. Other than the energy dynamic, they are not that well connected into a global financial system. So again, It's incumbent on us to try to look through, see where are we going to be in six to 12 months time. I mm -hmm. think that's what markets have started to price in over the past week or so. And and so as a CEO, like in working in the in the asset management industry, how how are you navigating to the through the to the certainty uh, of of what will happen next with with Russia with the sanctions and and everything? So I mean, clearly, um, with higher energy prices, there's a knock-on effect to inflation. And that's uh, resulted in quite sharp repricing of, uh, of in interest rates and monetary policy around the world. So um, that's one dynamic we're looking at closely. I think the question now is, have the markets gone too far in too short a space of time? Are they pricing in uh, too aggressive rate hikes by the Federal Reserve? Um, so that's something that we are trying to assess at the moment. I think it's also clear that you know, Europe suffers the most um, in this. Uh, both because of its geographic proximity to um, Ukraine. So there's a mm -hmm. natural knock-on effect on confidence and um, obviously having to deal with refugees is expensive and difficult, mm -hmm. although it's, of course, absolutely morally the right thing to do. Um, and then the, the energy linkage makes life very difficult. You get this double whammy of higher inflation, which is challenging from a policy perspective, But also higher energy costs act like a tax on activity, whether that's consumption or corporate activity, mm -hmm. where it squeezes margins. So it's much more challenging for Europe than it is for most of the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the two uh, dimensions there that are particularly important to Europe are A, how close is a country to Ukraine and Russia? And B, what proportion of a country's energy imports are derived from Russia? And so... In terms of the of the energy, um, so obviously it had like some effects on the prices of the gas and the and the oil because of the dependency, as you said, depending on 
dependency of each country to, to that energy. But do you see um, this kind of energy crisis as an opportunity for for Europe to to start like putting like more focus on renewable renewables energies and and yeah like if that's do you see this like as an as an investment opportunity like in the near future uh, yeah absolutely i mean the uh yeah the short answer is just yes absolutely okay. <laughs> i think there's you know two complementary elements to that the first element is simply that europe has a massive incentive to diversify away from its reliance on russian energy you've seen that uh however well you're thinking you, you get along with the country however safe you think those uh, supplies are actually um, due to events outside your control your energy uh, sources can be put at risk in a very short space of time and so there's a very strong push there from europe to try to diversify its energy sources and um, uh, you know that already uh, that, that encourages europe down the path which they're already pursuing which is down renewable energy Uh, so in the short term, of course, it's uh, it's difficult to find new energy sources, but certainly that's a longer term trend. The second dynamic is just simply that the higher um, hydrocarbon based, uh, the higher the prices of hydrocarbon based um, forms of energy, the greater the incentive to find alternative sources. And mm -hmm. given this scientific advances in certain um, uh, means of production and storage of uh, renewable energy, actually with oil prices and gas prices where they are that just creates just from a pure financial perspective without even considering whether it's good or bad for the environment that just creates a strong incentive to seek alternative sources so again a big push just on the financial side uh, into renewables uh, and then i guess there is a third element which is just the whole political and sociological element mm -hmm. which is anyway that, that this is something that europe had Uh, yeah, it was was a leader in and had already taken great steps to try to diversify its energy sources away from uh, uh, you know, hydrocarbons and uh, sources that, that are very polluting. So I said there were two, but actually I talked about three different uh, ways in which <laughs> that's okay. Situation is encouraging renewables. I so, think so, I so think, absolutely a big, yeah. big long term trend. Okay, I think that was that was really interesting. And so, how do you see like um, in terms of For the focusing like on the European economy only, how do you see this crisis or this um, this conflict affecting the the economy in Europe, like in the long term? I mean, we were like everyone was saying that this year was going to be a year of kind of recovery, like the COVID crisis was a bit like left behind, and now suddenly this happened. And what are what is on your from your perspective? the effects of this on the recovery in, in Europe, what effects we will have? I think uh, clearly it's a short-term negative. There's no denying that. Okay. And you can see that markets have started to price up already. So European uh, risky assets have under, you know, European equities have underperformed the equities of uh, most other developed markets around the world. And I think that's that market pricing is rational and reasonable. I think Europe clearly will be the, the worst affected region by uh, RNG prices and its physical proximity and, you know, as I said, the refugees and, you know, it's it's hard to see the mm -hmm. outside in the short term. At the same time, I think it's really interesting how we've seen Europe develop as a, a block over the past few years. Um, 
Now, uh, you know, if you cast your mind back to the European sovereign debt crisis in the early 2010s, at that time there was lots of talk of Europe splitting up, maybe splitting into a northern European bloc and a southern European bloc, and uh, you know, those countries that were, had a different approach to being mm -hmm. to their fiscal uh, management than other countries and so forth. And uh, then, you know, in a relatively short space of time, Europe managed to come back from that precipice. And uh, I thought it was very interesting during the COVID crisis that was used as uh, an excuse to issue uh, mutually guaranteed debt. So that's a way in which Europe has come closer together as a result of the COVID crisis. And then just last week, also very interesting that Europe um, announced that it would jointly bid for energy. So another mm -hmm. way in which Europe is starting to act as a much more cohesive unit. And of course, on things like defence, this uh, situation in Ukraine has brought home to Europe, some European nations who have been reluctant to spend so much on defence in the past, it's brought home to them the importance of having their own meaningful defence. So mm -hmm. I think in a number of ways, whilst there certainly is a short term damaging impact to the European economy, I think in a number of ways, actually, this has just added to the strength of Europe over the longer term. Okay, I mean, that's interesting. Um, and uh, so, like, thinking about, like, obviously, what happened, what is the first thing that, I don't know, I think, as a CEO, what was the first thing that came to your mind on the 24th of February? Because I can tell you here, like, everything was, like, exploding everywhere. It was crazy, like, what you could see in the media and everywhere, like, like what was your first thought like when you discovered like the invasion and, and all of that? Yeah, obviously it was completely unexpected. I mean, I say completely, it wasn't completely unexpected. The Russians had amassed so many forces on the Ukrainian border, but I don't think anybody expected it to happen in the way that it did. We thought mm. there would be more negotiation beforehand and we thought we would get fairer warning. Uh, so it certainly was a shock. I guess um, there's a number of things that go through one's mind at the time. One of the, the first things, of course, is your clients. You know, let's make sure that we're doing the best for our clients in the situation and that we're holding their hands. Um, we need to make sure that we're communicating well to everybody. We explain, you know, what are the pain points for us and for our clients? What are the, the things that we're trying to do to help mitigate the risk? Um, and then, as I mentioned earlier, also just trying to get some perspective on it. You know, mm -hmm. not panicking, not getting sucked into this very negative downward spiral that you can easily slip into in such circumstances, but just trying to take a step back, stay calm and review the situation um, as best you can and make you know a, an objective uh, assessment as to what's mm -hmm. going on. Um, so, so, you know, really just trying to do your best for the clients, trying to behave rationally without panicking and just, you know, trying to form uh, a rational view as to what's you know what's going to happen uh, over the coming weeks and months. That's that's really interesting, and I think that is a very good um, kind of like leadership and uh, thinking, like focusing on clients and focusing of how to, and like yeah, assess the situation and and kind of try to move on a bit, right? It's just yeah, um, but it is it's very difficult because none of yeah. us have a crystal ball, so you're you know. You just have to 
I think just try and be as open and honest as possible, try and communicate as much as you can and just let people know what you're up to. And I think, uh, yeah, I think people tend to appreciate that. But it is you know, very trying times, very difficult. Yeah, it's it's not. I, I guess it's not easy. Like it's quite, it's quite a hard like um, situation. Um, I wanted to go as well, like because obviously this has like this kind of more like deep side. But I also wanted to ask you um, about your hobbies and like what things do you like to do, like when you are not working, and so we can offer like a more like a personal perspective of you to the listeners. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I, I moved to uh, Switzerland last year. Okay. I feel very fortunate to be here. So my two sort of main hobbies I do are uh, skiing. So I'm in a good, very good country for that and uh -huh. cycling. So cycling, you know, I'm a, what in the UK, I, I'm part of uh, the band of middle-aged men in Lycra, what they're called mammals. <laughs> And uh, so I, you know, you see me in my lycra at the weekend, cycling around the Alps, and uh, it's absolutely beautiful. So I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. And something else I, I very much enjoy, although I'm really not very good, is I, I try and play the guitar. Okay. So I came to it relatively late in life. I'm really not very good, but I, again, it's a complete distraction from the stresses and strains of, uh, of financial markets and all that brings with it. And I find it's a, a very uh, good release from my day job. Any music in particular you like to play? A uh, bit of, you know, <laughs> middle-aged man stuff, I'm afraid, <laughs> like on the bike, you know, sort of rock and roll and uh, okay. nothing too complicated, but just, <laughs> yeah, just easy listening. And uh, so the next one is um, what, what would success mean to you, like right now, like thinking about your life and, and everything? Yeah, that's always, you know, those sorts of questions always very difficult to answer. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I think perhaps I'll just take that as a more general question about, you know, how do you have a successful career? And I think um, in terms of having a successful career, I think you have to be you know, constantly open uh, to new ideas, interact with your teams a lot. Whether you know, If you're a junior, then it's important that you interact you get stuck in you have to you know constantly ask questions am i doing this correctly what could i be doing better um and uh, i think as well you have to you know if you're when you're a junior you have to make sure you contribute and you you, know, you don't just isolate yourself don't just do your own thing and forget about the rest of the team and i think that lesson equally applies to when you're more senior you have to make sure you bring other people along with you mm -hmm. because uh you can always learn something from people on your team and we all need each other's support um, none of us can do this alone so it's um yeah it's really important to bring your team with you I, i'm not sure i directly answered the question there yeah i hope well, that gave you some sort of insight <laughs> that that brings me to my next question so that was that was useful as well so i just wanted to ask you like if you have any advice for anyone wanting to start a career in the in the financial industry or in the asset management industry in particular? I think that it's not for everyone. And so people have to be honest about that. It can be high pressure and difficult and very frustrating. Uh, but, uh, you know, for people like myself, I've, I find that constantly changing environment, uh, hugely stimulating and interesting. I think you have to be prepared to read a lot. You have to be naturally inquisitive 
and curious about the world. You also have to be very humble because markets are always teaching you new things. Just when you think you understand how something is working, the market has this nasty habit of pulling the rug away from beneath your feet. So you have to be constantly humble, um, but also I think constantly skeptical and a little bit cynical. So uh, when people say something is you know going to work 100% of the time, then that's never true, and you have to ask, you know. Where and how could this be wrong? But also ask those difficult questions of yourself. Where and how could I be wrong? So it's a you know it's constantly interesting, challenging, stimulating, you know, frustrating and annoying <laughs> all at the same time. But uh, I think if you have the attributes that like that sort of strange combination, you're prepared to read, work hard, question yourself as well as questioning others. Then I think that's uh, you know you're probably uh, you've probably got uh, a good chance at success. I think that's a really interesting um, advice, and I find that as well. Like the industry, really like interesting and really stimulating. And I think like any job can be frustrating sometimes. So, so I think you, I think anyone listening that is thinking about starting a career can think like, oh, I think it can, you know, balance the, the, the thing. But so yeah, so we got to the to the end of the conversation. Uh, thank you so much for being here uh, with us today. Uh, Absolute and, pleasure, Patricia. Thank you for having me on. And I hope you have enjoyed the conversation and and everything. Very much. And and yeah, for anyone uh, listening, we will be back in two weeks. And uh, follow us on social media and subscribe to our newsletter to be up to date. Thank you.